This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. This morning, this Easter morning, would you help us to know, to believe, and to encounter the risen Christ. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. This morning, we have gathered here very early to remember an actual moment in history. We are not here merely to conjure up our hopes or to proclaim a purely spiritual or otherworldly message. We are here to witness to a moment in history the moment in history that all our hopes are set upon. A moment in history that changed everything. Everything on earth, everything in heaven. The reason that I believe anything at all is because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Christianity does not begin with an abstract concept of a divine being or a list of rules or even a call to a particular personal experience or spiritual feeling or belief. The faith we proclaim begins with this concrete historic claim of an empty tomb. And finding that true Everything else we believe flows from there, that place of the empty tomb. We are here because God, God himself, was tortured and died and was buried. And on a Sunday morning, rose in real time with a real body. His hands were scarred with nail marks, and yet they went and they made breakfast for his friends soon after the resurrection. These scarred hands preparing fish over a fire. How can that be? We are saying that this moment in history where a real solid stone rolled away over earthy ground is the very moment that all of history revolves around. We are proclaiming that the very order of reality, the story of our planets and our stars, the lives of human beings and every bird and every oak tree and every flower, that time and space itself hinges on this actual moment of history. We are proclaiming that together this morning. We are saying that the central truth of reality around which all other truths revolve is this precise moment when Jesus 
who was fully God and fully man, rose from the dead. In this moment in history, death was defeated. We still die, yes. But in the scriptures and in the passage we heard in Romans today, death is not simply an event that happens to us at the end of our life. And that happened to Jesus on the cross. Death is a power. Death and sin are the powers that separate us from God, that estrange us from others, that bring suffering and evil and violence into our world and into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts. Jesus on the cross fully and completely entered into the realm of sin and death. He shouldered all the weight of sin and death on the cross. And we proclaim that in the actual moment of history, as most in the world would, would have lied sleeping or go about the business of their day on this Sunday morning, that these powers of sin and death were powerfully defeated. When so few knew it was such an ordinary day, and yet sin and death itself were destroyed. They no longer had the last word. We believe that there will be a day when we are resurrected that that will happen in real time and real history just as Christ was resurrected. That this earth and every rock and every tree and every star and every frog and every child will be made new in Christ. And that, the, and that our future hope was announced and was sealed for us when the stone rolled away. He was the firstborn of the new creation. And in this moment of history that all time and humanity revolve around, God chooses the least likely people to witness to his new resurrected reality. Death has been defeated and who does he pick to tell us about it? Some poor, uneducated, fearful, shocked women. If the gospel writers wanted to make an airtight case for the resurrection, they would not have made its first proclaimers women, who as a sex at this time in history were viewed as inferior, even untrustworthy. And much less these particular women that God chose, who were not noble women or powerful women, but were poor. They were outcast. They were the most ordinary. They were the most easily dismissed. They were even looked down upon. And yet, there they are, the first to see the risen Lord. 
A few years ago, I wrote an essay about why I believe the gospel. And in it, I say, these women had nothing to gain by proclaiming the resurrection and everything to lose. They knew that their testimony as women in their moment of history would not be believed. And indeed, not even all the apostles believed them at the beginning. Luke tells us that the apostles first thought the women were, and this is a quote, speaking nonsense. These women knew that they were risking ridicule, persecution, and charges of blasphemy by telling their story. They came to the tomb that morning expecting death, ready to embalm a body, and encountered something that changed them forever. I believe these women. I've bet my life on the claim of resurrection made by these women. And to be fair, they did too. Celsus, who was a Greek philosopher who lived in the second century AD, wrote a number of works against Christianity, arguing against the truth of the gospel. And one of his arguments went something like this. He said, Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women, and we all know that women are hysterical. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> In, in legal codes at the time, women were not even considered trustworthy witnesses in a courtroom trial. They were not allowed to testify. And yet we are gathered here today because of their testimony. Tim Keller asked, do you see what this means if the gospel writers, the early Christians, were making up these stories to get their movement off the ground? They would have never written women into the story as the first eyewitnesses to Jesus' empty tomb. The only possible reason for the presence of the women in these accounts is that they, they really were present and reported what they saw. Do you see this? God, in his great wisdom, chose the first witnesses to his resurrection to be those who are least likely, who are the least helpful in any kind of strategic sense, who are the least esteemed to proclaim the greatest news that the world has ever heard or hoped for. And in this morning's passage, we hear Jesus, when he meets these women, they see him, they encounter him, and they worship him. And he tells them two things. He tells them, one, don't be afraid. And then he tells them, go, tell others about this. Go tell your brothers what you have seen. And they went, the scripture tells us, with joy and awe, with joy and fear. And they told the disciples, and even the disciples at first didn't believe them. Because it was no easier for them to believe in the resurrection as it is for people today. And then his disciples encountered Jesus themselves. And they were never the same again. God took these men 
who were sniveling and confused and hiding and fearful, men who just a few days before had abandoned Jesus at his weakest moment and his deepest need. And for the rest of their lives, these very men lived radically and boldly, each separately and individually, willing to be brutally killed, but never to kill, to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. And these women and these apostles spent the rest of their lives proclaiming this moment in history, this resurrection moment. And because of their testimony, we gather here this morning, continuing the story, continuing to proclaim this message. According to the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, every other ancient messianic mo movement upon the death of their leader either dissolved or they found a new leader to be the appointed Messiah. And it would have made sense if the disciples retreated into obscurity and we never heard from them again, or if they proclaimed James, the brother of Jesus, as the new, better hope of the world, the real Messiah. But they didn't. They didn't. The disciples had no hope to offer anyone except that of a resurrected Messiah. And an idea that was so preposterous and so unimaginable that even they didn't believe it until they saw the risen Christ. When they did, when they saw him, when they encountered the risen Lord, their lives were changed. The early church was birthed. And to this day, we proclaim the unlikely good news that Jesus is the hope of the world, that he is eternal, he's unchanging, and he is risen. This morning, you also are witnesses to the resurrection. That's why you got up so early this morning, to witness to the resurrection. You who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death and are raised to resurrected life. Even those we saw baptized this morning are baptized into Christ's death and raised into resurrected life. What does that mean? That means that like all of history and the planets and the stars, and the earthworms, everything small and large, your life also revolves around this moment 2,000 years ago when the tomb was found empty. Everything we do in this church this year hinges on this moment. This is the moment that we proclaim. We witness to it just as the women and the disciples did. Every believer here, every believer on earth this morning is a witness to the resurrection. So your work is given to you to witness to the empty tomb. Your relationships are given to you as an embodied witness to the empty tomb. Your money, your body, your skin and hair and teeth your gifts and talents, your weaknesses and struggles, your life and your death are given to you 
to witness to this moment of history when the tomb was found empty. This moment when the prison of death and sin was broken open and we were set free to live a life marked by God's grace. This moment when the God who had made all things spoke into history itself how he would restore all things. The most important day in your life and my life isn't the day that you were married or born or the day of your biggest tragedy or your biggest success. It's not the day that you most ardently believe or the day that you most deeply doubt or the day you most horrendously fail or sin. The most important day in your life is the day these women encountered an empty tomb. And that day is the reality that you were baptized into. The day, that day is the day when the church was born. That day is the day when God's work in all of history swelled to a crescendo and everything changed. That day God showed to all the world that death no longer has mastery over him, over Jesus, or over this earth. And because of that day, in the same way you count yourself dead to sin, as we heard in Romans this morning, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Maybe this morning you feel like you are an unlikely witness to the resurrection. Maybe you feel like you are too sinful or too fearful or too ordinary or too full of doubt or too unqualified. But it is clear that from the very beginning, from the first day of the new creation, God chose the most unlikely people to witness to the most profound mysteries of his power and of his resurrected life. What a mystery we gather in today. We are gathered here because these unlikely women came to a tomb fully expecting to find death, and instead they found death defeated. They found a resurrected Lord who dies once for all, as we hear this morning in Romans. He died once for all, for all of our sin, and now he lives and reigns forever. Death has been defeated. Death has died. Let us, like the women, hear the resurrected Christ. Let us hear him tell us to be not afraid and to tell others of this resurrection with every moment of our lives, with every breath he has given us. And let us this morning, together, like these women and with these women, who first beheld him.
Let us worship him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.